From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker, and President Biden's new budget request went up to the Hill. The White House budget director was there, and the partisan warfare began. You got a taste of the grilling that's to come as these spending bills roll out. We want to talk about all that, how the battle might shape up, what this hearing means for the path going forward. Joining me to do that is Paul Krawczak, a senior budget writer at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Paul. Thanks for inviting me, David. And Peter Cohn, the budget and tax policy editor at CQ Roll Call. Thanks for being here, Pete. A pleasure as always, David. So, Paul, you watched it all happen at the Senate Budget Committee this week where the White House Budget Director, Shalanda Young, uh, sat for hours to hear what Senator budget, Senate budget writers thought of their fiscal 2024 budget request. Uh, what did it look like? How ugly did it get? Uh, what kind of reception did she get? Well, it did not get too ugly. Um, it was somewhat predictable. Um, the you know, as we know, President Biden has um, uh, proposed a, a big, more than $4 trillion tax increase and additional spending, and Republicans are opposed to uh, both of those. <clears throat> They're opposed to tax increases, and they say that the uh, <clears throat> that spending needs to be cut rather than, in, than increased. Uh, Democrats were, uh, were pretty supportive um, of the budget proposal. Um, and, um, you know, overall it was a, a pretty cordial exchange, uh, with, uh, you know, with a few exceptions. Cordial, but, uh, it doesn't mean that, <laughs> that everybody's happy with it. We, I think we saw some sharp partisan divides here that are going to pose a real problem, uh, you know, to get the bipartisan support you need to get a budget together, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I mean, Republicans' position is basically, you know, that this, you know, budget is dead on arrival, and you know that's uh, that, that's an often used term when the president's budget comes out. But um, you know, the difference between this year and uh, the past couple of years is that uh, Republicans uh, control the House, whereas before Democrats controlled both the the Senate and the House. So there was a uh, there was a better chance of more of uh, the president's uh, proposals uh, getting enacted. Yeah. Uh, Pete, how did you see it? Uh, I mean, what do you think is the biggest hurdle here that has to be resolved between the two sides? The biggest hurdle is that they're enormously far apart. They're, the gap is unbridgeable. So, I mean, something has to give. Yeah. There, there's, li- there's literally no chance. If you look at what the CBO put out this week with, um, uh, and, and other groups have put out their own analysis of this, but to get to a balanced budget at the end of a decade, it's just it's 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 not it's not politically possible. There is just zero political will to do what needs to be done, especially if you're not going to. I mean, even if you're going to put taxes on the table, which the Republicans have not are are not putting taxes on the table. If anything, they want to extend the the tax cuts enacted in 2017, right. which would add another two trillion to the deficit over, over the next decade. So, but putting that aside, even it, you know. If you were going to do it all with spending, you got to cut 
about somewhere between 12 and 14 trillion dollars you know in just in federal programs over the next decade from what the CBO baseline now the CBO baseline assumes it's going to grow with inflation and some other factors that go into some of the, the federal benefit programs um, so there's different ways they measure inflation for different programs but still the CBO baseline is kind of the gold standard for when you think about what the overall trajectory of spending is going to be so to do it all with with on the spending side 12 to 14 trillion that's not going to happen but let's say for the sake of argument you were going to put half of that uh, on the tax side so that would mean you'd have to raise taxes by about 6 to you know 6 to 7 trillion dollars over a decade now that's just that, that wouldn't have flown even if the democrats had 60 votes in the senate and controlled the house and the white house that's just it it just doesn't happen american history doesn't allow for that kind of a, a, a tax increase, let alone yeah. the, on the spending side. Forget about the spending. That's not going to happen either. So you have an unbridgeable divide. So the question is, who blinks first? And that is an interesting dilemma that Republicans, I think, have sort of set up for themselves, right? Because the the new House Republican majority came in uh, with the squeaker of an election saying they want a path to a balanced budget over 10 years. And at the same time, they've said, we don't, we want to take social security and Medicare off the table for cuts. And at the, and by the way, we don't want to cut defense. So that's their problem. Right. And I think, um, it was, it was sort of shrewd of, of the, the new Senate budget chairman, Sheldon Whitehouse and the Senate finance committee chairman, Ron Wyden, both Democrats, to order up this report from the Congressional Budget Office because it does provide them some valuable new ammunition to sort of paint a, a, a pretty stark contrast between where the Biden budget is and what House Republicans say they want to do and how the math may not add up for Republicans. I mean, the, the CBO numbers there were pretty stark. Um saying you'd have to cut something like 86% of all the other programs if you're, if you're putting defense and Social Security and Medicare and, and veterans benefits, I think, off the table. Uh, you know, it's sort of unimaginable that they could cut 86% of all other programs. Um, so something has to give there. And, it, and you almost got a sense that Democrats were delighted um, I thought to to set up that fight because they just they just have are now convinced that the Republican promises won't add up and that that it's Republicans who will have to fold. We don't know. We'll see. But it does it does set up this stark contrast. that's going to be hard for Republicans. Of course, they haven't put forward. You know, Republicans haven't put forward. In fairness, their own budget plan yet. So we don't know exactly what they're going to be wanting to propose specifically. Um, so the proof there will be in the pudding, but but that's the big test going forward now and, and what kind of Republican budget plan they can come up with, Paul, right? I mean, they've got well, a dilemma right. now. Well, it's going to be extremely challenging to for House Republicans to write a budget resolution that will um, scale back spending to 2022, 2022 levels, and also balance the budget in 10 years, obviously. It's going to be a big challenge just to to write that budget and then to get it adopted by the House Budget Committee and then to get it adopted by the full House. That's going to be the real challenge. 
Obviously, that is not going to go anywhere in the Senate. The Senate is going to go in a different direction. Um, but I mean, as we, you know, at some point, uh, you know, the House and the Senate are going to have to compromise on spending levels um, and appropriations bills. Either they're going to have to find common ground and compromise, or they are going to end up with a, a continuing resolution which continues spending at current levels. So, so given, you know, you can say that what House Republicans are doing um, is unrealistic and has no chance of being adopted, but nevertheless, the fact that they are shooting for such large spending cuts, I mean, suggests to me that whatever kind of spending deal eventually emerges is going to be lower than, you know, what one would have expected if Democrats were in control of the House, for example. Yeah. And I, I am kind of thinking, Pete, that that Republicans may may be starting to sort of abandon the notion of of getting to a balanced budget over 10 years, because we did see we did see from the ultra hard right uh, House Freedom Caucus, they did put out a sort of a outline of a proposal that called for basically holding discretionary spending uh, flat over a decade, maybe allowing for 1% growth, but you know, effectively flat over a decade, promising $3 trillion in deficit reduction, but that's not a balanced budget either. You know, you, you're, you're about $17 trillion short there. So, I mean, even the hard right Freedom Caucus didn't claim they would bring the budget into balance uh, with their plan, which makes me start to think that maybe, uh, you know, maybe we won't see any balanced budget plan. Maybe they're just going to settle for as much deficit reduction as the votes will allow them, you know, in this narrow House majority. Well, I think it's a little, a little more than $3 trillion. They came up with a few other uh, bells and whistles on, t- on top of that. Uh, and, and, you know, one of those things is canceling President Biden's student debt relief program, right. which, um, but of course, if the Supreme Court gets there first, and that kind of takes that chip off the table for the Republicans. They can't really claim credit for it. So we'll see what, what happens with the Supreme Court. But in any case, they, it would, they were never going to be able to adopt a balanced budget in the House. You're just, you, McCarthy has four votes to play with. Yeah. He can only lose four. All right. There's not a single Democrat that's going to support a balanced budget that cuts $14, $15 trillion in spending over the next decade. It's just simply not going to happen. And uh, so- they always started out from the position of they're going to have to climb down from that, from that position. And I think you're right, David. I think, you know, they're starting to, to drop little hints here and there that they're not going to be able to get there. You know, so what can they pass? Whatever they pass uh, is still not going to be able to get through the Senate. So at some point reality has to set in that what, uh, this is just like back in 20, in 2011, where what can you feasibly do? And the answer probably is some form of discretionary spending caps that kind of grow a little bit slower than inflation over the next, I don't know how many years, maybe it's two years, maybe it's five, maybe it's five years. I don't know if they can get 10 years. It doesn't seem like the Senate's going to go, go along with that. But discretionary spending caps is sort of the tried and, t- and true method for a bipartisan deal. Now, there's a few other things they could throw in there. Maybe they could rescind unobligated COVID-19 relief. 
Um, you could extend, you know, for the spectrum auction authority in this country has lapsed for the first time. You could renew that and extend that authority and claim the revenue from spectrum auctions. These are sort of painless things that have been done many, many times in the past that generate a little bit of, of revenue and deficit reduction. So somewhere in there is going to be the deal. But, you know, these, these enormous numbers that have been thrown around, I mean, White House's CBO report was instructive and, you know, and a great little political tool to, to have out there, but it really doesn't reflect reality. It reflects sort of a, a stylized vision of what a theoretical Republican plan might, might look like in a sort of a, you know, a world that doesn't really exist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And so while they may have to back off from a balanced budget dream, they do, they do though seem intent on, on rolling back discretionary spending, at least on the non-defense side. Um, and there is still that, that, uh, promise out there that they want to cut the coming year's discretionary spending back down to fiscal 2022 levels, which that itself is an eight or 9% cut. I think if, if you know, if, if you take everything in totality, um, even that's going to be a pretty steep climb to get, to get any kind of bipartisan consensus on Paul. Well, that's right. Um, and you know, it's one thing for the, you know, the budget committee to, um, you know, produce a, um, uh, a spending limit, um, for the appropriations committee, which is, a, which is a cut in spending. And it's another thing for the appropriations committee to actually be able to put together bills that uh, that in, that provide for those cuts and uh, and even harder to actually get those appropriations bills, you know, passed on the House floor. I mean, there are um, there are, there are a lot of people who are very skeptical about the whether House Republicans can pass appropriations bills that uh, contain those kinds of cuts. And we do have new leadership, you know, on the appropriation side uh, in the Senate this year, and they. You know, we have heard a lot of happy talk from them about how they're going to get everything back on track this year. We're going to get, we're going to get our bills marked up. We're going to get them to the floor. I don't know, Pete. Maybe I'm too cynical, but I, should we really expect to see these bills done on time? I, I really still don't have much faith. Yeah, you know, David, we in journalism we have to use a lot of of uh, hedging terminology when when we write our stories. Uh, and we talk about these things. We have to say things like it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be an uphill climb. Um, you know, it's going to be very difficult, things like that, because we can't come out and, and say what the reality is, which is that something is simply not going to happen. Okay. And, but I think the podcast, the podcast format gives us a little bit more freedom to kind of, you know, say, say things that are more in tune with reality. And one of those things is the fact that, uh, Cutting spending back to fiscal twenty-two levels uh, after where we've been the last, you know, in the last budget cycle, what what President Biden has just requested, cutting all that back to fiscal twenty-two. Let's just come out and say it: it's not going to happen. Okay, the votes don't exist. Probably not in the House, uh, let alone the Senate. The Senate Republicans are not going to go along with it. All right. So the question is, what can they get done? And I think the, this prospect of regular order 
is the Senate's way of saying, let's see what we can get done and let's let have that be our negotiating position once we get to the point of having talks with the House. We don't even know what the House is if the House is going to have a negotiating position because we don't know what they're going to be able to pass. Maybe they pass a couple, maybe they pass the Milcon bill, maybe they pass the energy water bill, you know, but are they going to be able to pass the labor HHS bill? Prob- you know, it doesn't look like it at this point. It doesn't even have any earmarks in it to make right. it more palatable. Right. Yeah, they you banned it. They banned earmarks from that bill, right? Yeah, they're certainly going to try probably try to hold the defense bill back to the end of the process. That's sort of the sweetener for all this. So, uh, you know, all this talk about it, it it's going to be very challenging, it's going to be very difficult. That's a, an enormous understatement and I think we can just come out and say it that's not going to happen. But you think in on the Senate side, Pete, you think they can actually get their all their bills passed in some form? Well, I mean, probably not. But you know, they've they've been able to pass a few in the past. Again, you know, some of these bills that have more bipartisan support: agriculture, energy, water, military construction, VA. Some of these smaller bills, you know, you've seen them get marked up even in the last couple of years, which you know, there have been very little activity on the Senate side as far as what they call regular order, marking up bills individually, bringing them to the floor. Um, you know, that just really hasn't happened in the last several years. So, you know, are they going to get a few done? They're talking about grouping some of these in these packages. They call them mini buses. Maybe they, yeah. I mean, maybe they could, they could get one or two. The first thing that's got to happen though, is they've got to get a deal on what is the top line uh, spending cap that they're going to use. And to do that, you've got to get basically a majority of the appropriations committee on board. And then the and then they have to be able to sell it to the the wider Senate. So I'm not quite sure what the incentive is for either side to to make a deal at this point on that because you've got Mitch McConnell, the Senate Senate Minority Leader, out there saying he's going to let Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker, take the lead in these talks. Okay, so uh, if that's the case, I'm not sure what Susan Collins, the the top uh, Republican appropriator is going to be able to do, how much negotiating authority on behalf of her party that she's going to have. If, if you put her in a room with Patty Murray, the Senate Appropriations Chair, they could come out with a deal probably within an hour. But you know that's not the issue. The issue is being able to have that authority on behalf. And I'm not sure that Senator Murray is going to have the negotiating authority on her side of the aisle either. Because anything that comes out of bipartisan discussion in the Senate is going to move away from the Biden numbers, move lower than the Biden numbers, particularly on non-defense spending. So then that's even before you get to the negotiation with the House Republicans. So it's almost like the Senate negotiating with itself. So I'm not sure that Chuck Schumer is going to even allow them to cut a deal on these bills. Right. And we got a little and we got a little glimpse this week, Paul, of how of how tough a bipartisan deal even in the Senate would be. Because, you know, we, uh, Lindsey Graham used that hearing with the White House budget director to sort of um, give her grief over the defense spending and said, you've only proposed a 3% increase for defense and inflation's running at 6%. You know, do you really think he was saying, how can you justify uh, a defense budget that doesn't keep up with inflation was his point. And Shalanda Young pushed back on that and said, well, we're reprioritizing programs and, and we think, you know, national security will be protected, but she was pretty vague. 
I mean, the numbers are what the numbers are. I mean, the fact is, you know, depending what you think inflation will be for the coming fiscal year, it may or may not keep up with inflation, I suppose. But um, you can see how Republicans, even in the Senate, are already gunning to to get that defense number up higher, which is going to be a real problem. Well, and there are actually some conservative Republicans in the House who, you know, are open to um, defense cuts. Um, but but most Republicans uh, favor defense increases um, year after year and a lot of Democrats as well. And I mean, the record of the past you know, Biden budgets has been to propose a fairly small increase in defense and a huge increase in non-defense. Um, and, you know, the record the last couple couple times has been that, uh, you know, Congress, you know, brings those back down lower. It, it raises the defense. It, it brings the non-defense down and it, it aligns it. So, you know, it, it's pr- probably likely that, uh, you know, defense ultimately is increased, you know, beyond that 3% figure given pressure, you know, what will be pressure from Republicans, but, all, but also from a lot of Democrats. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we're in a, it's one of these scenarios again, Pete, where the defense number has to come up and the non-defense number has to come down from what Biden proposed. I don't, I don't know that that's true, actually. I I might, you know, I I play, play the other side of that argument there, Paul. Uh, You know, 3%, sure. That's lower than what they've gotten over the last few years. But I don't know how you, honestly, I, I don't know how they get higher than that when the House Republicans are out there with the position that, that they've taken which is that we need to cut all the way back to fiscal 22. Now, again, I don't think they're going to be able to successfully implement that. There's just no way. I'm not sure they, they get that through the House, let alone the Senate or Biden signature. But a defense increase at about three, three and a half percent in an environment where you're trying to prevent massive cuts to other to every other program. Uh, and then, I mean, for, and then look at veterans. I mean, veterans has, got, has already got a built in, I think, what, seven or eight percent increase just from last year. So, um, you know, you take veterans and defense off the, off the table. I don't know how you start, how you start going in there and slicing, you know, all the other non-defense domestic foreign aid programs so dramatically like that and have any realistic chance of, of having anything but a, a full year CR, you know, I mean, if, I mean, there's already people saying, look, a full year CR would actually be the optimal scenario here, which has never, you know, been ideal before, but. You're looking at the, the kinds of cuts House Republicans are proposing. A CR at least would get you kind of close to flat funding from the from fiscal 23. Um, you know, but even even the House Republicans, some of them, the Freedom Caucus guys, are talking about cutting that by you know one two percent, having a you know across the board cut combined with a CR. So uh, I I honestly I don't know how they get anything higher than the Biden number on defense. To be to be quite honest with you. Well, that's intriguing. We'll have to see what, what, how that happens and whether they could get enough Republican votes for this thing with a, with a defense budget that, that may not actually keep up with inflation. Is, it would be very interesting. Um, the other thing, we're, uh, before we go, though, I, I was struck, Paul, um, at that Senate budget hearing on how much Republicans really uh, pushed back on the Biden budget for not proposing a plan to shore up Social Security. And you elaborated on that in your story this week, which folks can find at CQ.com or RollCall.com. 
I, it was striking how how upset they seemed to be that there was no proposal from the Biden administration on on, on Social Security, which you know is another decade is supposed the trust funds are going to get depleted. Yeah, that that was that was that was striking. Um, so you know, Senator Mitt Romney. Uh, Republican from Utah in particular, um, really uh, sort of, you know, called the White House budget director, Shalanda Young, to the carpet on that one. And, and you know, the White, the White House's position, her position has been that, um, that, that the reason that, that President Biden did not propose any kind of plan in his budget to extend the solvency of Social Security is that uh, Biden thinks the biggest threat to uh, Social Security is Republicans who want to cut Social Security. And uh, Mitt Romney said, you know, that that's totally dishonest um, because he said there are no Republicans who are proposing cutting Social Security. He said, you know, name one Republican in this Congress who is proposing cuts to Social Security. And Shalanda Young did not name a Republican. She said, well, you know, there, there are lawmakers in the past who have, you know, held that position um, so, yeah, and the, the, you know, and other Republicans, you know, have followed, followed on in, in other hearings as well to, uh, yeah, to really uh, press the White House on, on why it hasn't proposed anything. Yeah. And Bill Cassidy, the senator from Louisiana, Republican, was also upset about that, I think, and, and, and asked Young, why, how come you, won't, you guys won't meet with us when we're trying to come up with a Social Security plan? I think Young said that they would meet at some point, but um, it, it showed their frustration. But Pete, it's hard for me to believe that we're going to see any plan to save Social Security uh, get done this year. Although there is, we should say, there is a bipartisan effort in the Senate to try to make that happen. As I understand the bipartisan effort in the Senate, it, it, it relies uh, on investing in, in the stock market uh, to, to meet the targets that they're talking about. Uh, not entirely. I mean, it would certainly be backstopped by the federal government if, you know, the rate of return falls below a certain level. But um, I, I think we saw how that effort went back in 2005 when George W. Bush proposed it. Yeah. Coming, you know, coming off. Didn't uh, get far. Coming off a sizable win in, in the 2004, you know, he won a second term in 04, uh, a convincing win, you know, over John Kerry. And he came out and said, look, this is my top domestic priority. So you had the, a pre, the presidential bully pulpit uh, out there saying, look, this is what I'm staking my second term on. This is I want this to be part of my legacy. Uh, and he had a lot of support. He remember he had an all Republican Congress at that point. You know, a lot of support. Lindsey Graham was one of the biggest you know, proponents of this in the Senate at the time. You had the House Ways and Means Committee was working on it. Um, and what happened? Uh, the Democrats came out and completely destroyed it. They shredded this pro this proposal as you know social security privatization. All right, and then so it went nowhere. And the Democrats, of course, swept you know, a massive victory in the two thousand six midterms. You know, a lot a lot of that was because of Iraq, but part of it was because of the social security plan went up in flames. You know, and then um, years later, Paul Ryan tries to resurrect you know, a version of the, of this idea of private accounts and social security. And of course, again, got shredded. So I, I just don't understand what reality uh, people are living in when they think that we're going to move in the direction of 
uh, you know, using private market returns to try to juice social security benefits uh, and, and, and shore up and shore up the trust fund. Um, you know, it's possible they could get a gang of 10 or 12 or whatever it is in the Senate, but you know, I don't know. I mean, what's, what else is going to be part of that plan? Yeah. You start talking about raising payroll taxes, you lose the, most of the Republicans. You start cut, you start talking about raising the retirement age, which I believe has been reported as part of the talks in, in the Senate. Raising the retirement age, you've already seen that could just get demagogue practically, you know, again to shreds. So I just don't see it. And then of course, you know, the Democrats' proposal is uh, is just raise payroll taxes, which I I don't know what planet, you know, Bernie Sanders has a plan to raise payroll taxes and everybody making above two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I think he's got about ten supporters of that, you know, and then the House. You know, wants to raise payroll taxes on people making more than four hundred thousand. Ways and means couldn't even get, couldn't even bring that bill up in the last Congress. Biden proposed it during the campaign. He has not even put it in any of his budgets since he got elected. So you know, it, the whole thing to me is just sort of uh, it, it's a night. It's a it's a it's an interesting distraction. Which which probably does explain why we didn't see any Social Security proposal in this new budget. I think the administration is well aware that there just is no consensus on how to fix Social Security right now, and there's nothing that's going to be able to pass. I think so. So why bother? Is probably their thinking there. The the Biden ver- the Biden version, the Democrat Democrat only version of Social Security, quote unquote reform, is increasing benefits. For low in- income and the and the most elderly retirees, fixing some some issues there with ben- with the benefit structure, and dramatically raising taxes, right? Uh, which affects you know present day workers, everybody who's paying into the trust fund now, and their employers. So the political support it does not exist. It did not exist, David, under all democratic control of Washington. Okay. So there is simply no, again, I'll, I'll come back to this. Let's just come out and say it. It's simply not going to happen. <laughs> well, on that cheery note, I think we are about out of time. Um, but there will be more hearings next week on the budget. We will be covering it all for you. You can find all our coverage at cq.com or rollcall.com. Peter Cohn, Paul Krozak, thanks again for joining me. Thank you, David. And thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. We'll see you next time.